Good morning, everyone. So uh, a logistical point, and then uh, a short homily and a little bit of a longer homily. Um, I probably shouldn't tell you that. Um, logistically, so again, Archbishop Aquila has allowed for people to be receiving on the tongue at communion. We're trying to do that smart and in a way that makes everyone just feel safe and comfortable. And so if you're going to receive on the tongue, uh, Father Brian and I will be, it sounds so weird to say that, right? Uh, but anyway, we'll be, we'll be at the front here in front of the altar. And if you want to receive on the tongue, if you would come to us. If you would like to receive in the hand, there will be people on either side who are distributing in the hand. And that way, hopefully people feel a little more comfortable and it goes smoothly. I know we're all, I don't know, well, I don't know, but probably a lot of you are tired of politics, but I just can't resist just a little bit with today's first reading. Um, and I have two basic points I want to make here. So the first one is this. Um, I had a very devout Catholic two days ago talk to me, and they kind of were saying, you know what, all these issues, you know, they said, I'm sick of hearing about abortion. He said, you know, Father Brian, I'm, I'm tired of hearing about abortion. There's a lot of other issues. We've all heard this, right? Maybe you've thought this. And he said to me, he said, you know, the Catholic Church is against the death penalty. We are. He's right. And he said, and there's immigration, and there's all these different issues, but all I hear about is abortion. That is true. Here's a problem with that, and I just called him out on it. I told him, I said, you know, last year, so the Catholic Church is against the death penalty. Do you know how many people were, we killed through the death penalty last year? Anybody know? Six. Which is six too many. We killed six people last year through the death penalty. We killed almost a million unborn children. And I just looked at this guy and I decked him. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> He's a very devout Catholic, but I just told him, I said, don't tell me those are the same. And I said, the, the day when we kill a million immigrants, I will move to the border and I will protest with you. But don't tell me right now that these are the same issues. They're not. Right? This is, this is the, the thousand pound elephant in the room that no one talks about, except for priests. Okay. But the second point is this. I have very strong opinions. I know you do too. I know everyone's nervous right now about the election. So am I. I think there are very grave consequences for what happens in this election. But our first reading is a really good word of sobriety for us as Catholics. The danger, even if you are with the church, if your conscience and your voting mind is formed according to the principles of the Catholic Church. By the way, great article from Bishop Barron this week in the Denver Catholic on this. Very good. I encourage you to read it. Um, if your mind's formed according to the thought of the church, I still want to give you a cautionary word today. It's so easy for us to say that if it doesn't go the way I want it to go, there will never be sunshine again, right? And the world will come to an end. In our first reading today, and I hope you heard this, this is really powerful. Isaiah chapter 45, and the context here is Isaiah is, is, has a vision into the future from God of when the Jews, they're in Babylon in exile, they're at a very low point, and they're waiting for God to redeem them. 
And, his, and God says this, Isaiah 45.1. Thus says the Lord to his anointed. And really quick, let's see. Let's make somebody, you know, let's point out how awesome they are. Can anybody tell me what's the Hebrew word for an anointed one? Don't make eye contact. <laughs> Christian? No idea. No idea. Get out of my church. <laughs> John, what's the word for an anointed one in Hebrew? Messiah. The Hebrew word for an anointed is a Messiah. And so today God says to Isaiah, and listen to this. This is super powerful. It's really important for us right now. Thus says the Lord to his anointed to Cyrus. He says this like three times right here in Isaiah. He calls Cyrus his Messiah. Cyrus is an immoral, godless pagan. And the whole point here is that the hands of the powerful or the hearts and the lives of the powerful are in the hand of God. And the Jews want someone who is righteous, who loves God, that will come in and will redeem them, who of course the true Messiah will be Jesus. But God uses Cyrus, and the whole point of Isaiah 45, one of the central points here, is that God can even use our enemies to bless his people. And Cyrus, the king of Persia, who will conquer the Babylonians, Cyrus is the one who provides all the funding and resources and permissions for the Jews to rebuild the temple where Jesus stands in today's gospel. So that's homily number one. We vote according to the, the mind of Christ, but our hope is not in a politician, our hope is not in a government. Our hope is only in God. And that's really important. Okay, you ever made a bargain with God? This means yes. This means no. You probably have. Um, it's not a good idea, generally. Right? You remember when you were a kid and you start bargaining with your parents? Your mom's like, go to bed. And you're like, mom, here's the deal. I was really good today. I ate all my vegetables. I deserve 30 more minutes. And sometimes it works, right? Sometimes, as a, as a parent, you're like, all right, got a good point, Brian. You're a pretty good kid. Go ahead and do it, right? And what you learn as you uh, kind of go through life, there's certain people you can bargain with, and there's certain people you can't. I used to try, my mom would always, thank you, mother, she always fed me a very healthy lunch growing up. And when I went off to school, I had my healthy lunch. And I was always jealous of the kids who had fruit by the foot. Right? I don't know if that still exists. But my mom would always give me a bag of carrots with my lunch. And I was, it didn't work all the time, but I was like, how can I trade my carrots for the fruit by the foot? Right? And my, my best friend from my childhood, Eric Schmidt, he's like, yeah, I remember you trying to get me to like trade carrots for my fruit by the foot. He's like, what's wrong with you? There's certain times you can win that. You can bargain at certain times. Today, what I want to talk to, today's our uh, annual talk about finances and our generosity as Christians with finance. 
And I want to tie our gospel into this. And I thought today when I was reading about, uh, in our gospel, bargaining with God. And it was just so funny. You think, you know, Jesus is in the temple here. The Pharisees go together with the Herodians. And it's almost like they're trying to, like, figure out how they can get one up on Jesus. And they just don't know who they're talking to. And they have the perfect trap set for him. We're going to talk about this. It's a perfect trap. No matter how Jesus answers, he's in trouble. And so they're trying to figure out, like, how can we get Jesus to be in trouble? How can we entangle him in his words? By the way, our gospel cut off today. In the last line today in the, uh, the reading at Mass, Jesus says, Then give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. But the next line is still part of the same passage, the same scene. And the next line says this. It says, When they heard it, they marveled. And they left and went away. Did you marvel today when Jesus says, Give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's? You probably didn't marvel. You weren't like, Oh, mic drop. You probably didn't feel that. And I want to show you why everyone else in the temple that day did. And we're going to walk through this, and I want to tie it, and I want to challenge you to your life and on the ways that you bargain with God and why you should give that up. So they're in the temple, and there's a ton of hypocrisy going on. The Pharisees are the religious people. They're the devout ones, and and I love the way they say this. It's kind of like, you know, when your your son or daughter comes up to you, and you're like, Dad, you're totally awesome, and you're like, okay, what does my kid want? right? You never say that. And I love it. They say, teacher, we know that you are true. Jesus is like, here we go. We know that you are true, and they they build him up. And here's the key. They're in the temple, and they ask, can we pay the census tax? And Jesus says, show me the coin. If you haven't heard, this this is super powerful. The irony here, this is worth praying about, and it's worth praying about the ways that we can use this religious facade and not give our hearts to God. We can look all the right way, but we don't give our hearts over. And so Jesus says, show me the coin. They pull out a denarius. Go home today, look up the denarius. The denarius, there's different ones of them that were coined at different times. But what they have on them is they have an image of the emperor. And right over the emperor Tiberius, it says, Tiberius, the son of a god. The first commandment in Exodus chapter 20. In Exodus chapter 20, God gives the Ten Commandments. He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath. And he goes on. Jews are forbidden from worshiping false gods and they're also forbidden from any image making. The Pharisee is in the temple of God himself with Jesus with an image. It has an inscription that says that Caesar is God. This is, by the way, when Jesus overthrows the money-changing tables. 
This is why the Jews had money-changing tables. Because it was blasphemous for a Jew to bring an image of a pagan idol into the temple of the living God. And so the Jews would change their money out before they went into the temple, and they would change them to the Jewish currency, to the shekel, right, your favorite currency and mine, so that they wouldn't offend God in the temple. Don't bargain with Jesus. Right, he, right there, they're caught red-handed. And they think they have the one up on him. And so Jesus says, show me the coin. And the rub of the things is, right, Jesus is getting to your heart, into the heart of this Pharisee who is being hypocritical. They're trying to test him. And Jesus says, give to Caesar what is Caesar and to God what is God's. By the way, this does not mean, well, the government is fine and the church is fine. That's not what it means. What belongs to God? Everything. Everything. And the irony here, right, is that on that coin, right, not only does Caesar claim to be the Son of God, and here's Jesus in the temple who is the true Son of God and the image of the living God, but on the flip side of that coin, on the back side, and you'll see this when you go home today, the back side of that coin declares Tiberius Caesar to be the high priest. There's only one high priest, right, and that's him. Our life, and here's what happens, you know, when I, the more religious I got, it's kind of a scary thing. And when I got more and more into my faith, you start to bargain with God. And you're like, Lord, okay, I, I want to follow you, but I don't want to be that weird guy who can only talk about religion. Right? I have friends like this. They're like, man, did you see the Tour de France? And Father Brady's like, yeah, how did your heart feel there? Did you feel like you were closer to Christ when that Belgian guy got ahead? And I'm like, Lord, don't make me like Father Brady. (laughs) Whatever you do. And you begin to bargain. And my message to you today about your finances, your finances are only one part of your faith. But they are a part of your faith. They're a part. And what the world tells us is that you can bargain with God. Lord, I'll follow you to a reasonable degree. St. Jose Maria Escriva, I was reading this this week, and he always says things so powerfully. And he says this, he's he's in a letter, in in his little books, they're usually letters he wrote to other people. And he's writing to someone in Opus Dei, and he's talking, and the the friend had written back, and he's talking about a, a, a friend. And so there's some friend, let's just say it's Father Brian, that'll make it easier. If Father Brian's like, he's been talking to a friend, and he writes to me, and he says, my friend says this and this, and Jose Maria Escriva writes back, and he says, yeah, your friend added that if you shouldn't sin, of course, but there is no need to give up everything. We've all thought that way, haven't we? Yeah, yeah, don't, don't sin, but be reasonable. You don't have to go too far in your faith. You don't have to give up everything. Don't, don't, be, don't be fanatical. Be reasonable. You shouldn't sin, of course, but there is no need to give up everything. And here's Jose Maria Escriva's response. He says, how sad it is 
to see men who are mean, calculating, incapable of making any sacrifice, of giving themselves wholeheartedly to a noble ideal. I love that. How sad it is to see men who are mean, calculating, incapable of making any sacrifice, of giving themselves wholeheartedly to a noble ideal. That's not how God loves us. Right? God does not love us in a way that says, let's have a reasonable love. You give me some of your time, I'll give you some of mine. Right? The way God loves us and the way he brings us deeper and deeper in our faith is when we realize that he loves us not in a reasonable way. He loves us in a furious, overpowering, infinite flood of love. Right? God, God wants everything. And our response to him has to look something like that. And that's why our finances matter, brothers and sisters. Our finances are one part of our life. God slowly wants every aspect of our life to say, Jesus, you're my everything. You're my everything. And to love him wholeheartedly. We used to talk about one more image here. You want your whole life to look that way, right? With your time. Right? Do you get up in the morning and say, okay, Lord, I'm really busy today, but you're the center of my life, and I'm going to spend 10 minutes this morning, and I'm just going to push out the world because I love you more than anything else. Right? Do you do this with your friendships, and you say, gosh, I love being with this person. It's super fun, but this person's pulling me away from God, and God, you're my everything, and you're first. We used to talk about and focus how and in the companions, we talk about this. Mother Teresa, no one ever asked why she was celibate. Do you ever notice that? Priests sometimes, people say, well, why are priests celibate? And the reason that in the companions we say people wonder about celibacy is because if you can't look at a priest's life and say, wow, that person's life is obviously all about Jesus Christ, then celibacy becomes this weird thing that's in the middle of left field. It's like they, they, they have a really nice life, right? They, they drive, you know, Jaguar and like, uh, I don't know, they're on vacation all the time and their life is really comfortable and easy and then they're not allowed to get married. That's weird. No one ever asked why Mother Teresa was celibate because everything in her life was about him. Everything. And so her celibacy never looked weird. Because everyone looked at her and said her whole life was Jesus. Today, the Lord's call, and, and just I want to challenge you today, brothers and sisters, I'm going to ask you, look at your finances. You love God, and you guys are so generous. You're so good to the church here and to me. But there's always a challenge to us to renew that and to look back in our lives and say, okay, Jesus, I want to do that again. I want to sacrifice for something that matters. And I'll leave you with this today. You've heard me say it before. The message of the world, the world says to us, do you want to be happy? Get more. 
If you want to be happy, be secure, never age, have everything you want. That's a path to happiness. But it is not the call of Christ. The call of Christ says this. It says to you and to me, it says, if you want to find your life, give it away. The one who seeks his own life will lose it, but the one who loses his life for my sake will find it, says the Lord. It's hard, it's not easy, but it's the only way to authentic joy. And so every area of your lives, brothers and sisters, we're called to live that out, including our finances. We're called to love the way God does. Jesus, today, Lord, give us generosity. Lord, help us to reject the lie that I'm going to be happy if I just have more. Lord, will you remove the idols from my heart? May I be willing to sacrifice for something that matters? Jesus, may I have your logic, your mind. May all of us give ourselves to you and so enter into your joy.